Well, the time has come for a new study, and I've been getting more and more excited about getting into this letter, the first letter of Timothy, first letter of Paul to Timothy. We'll not really get into that except for part of the first two verses. We're going to introduce this letter, but I do suggest you open your scriptures at first Timothy there. We'll be referring to some verses and other scriptures if you can keep up with the sword drawer. Uh, if I could talk a little slower, maybe you'll catch up. Otherwise, just write down those references. So First Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy. Let's just read the first two verses to introduce this to us, and then we'll have a bit of an introduction. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. We've come a long way writing letters, a long way backwards. What a wonderful introduction to a letter. This letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, a dear friend, a colleague, fellow missionary sub-apostle, if you like, a minister, uh, and though it's a personal letter to Timothy, it's clearly meant to be read to the church at Ephesus, where he was when this was written. Now, up to now, in the New Testament, Paul's epistles were directed to actual churches. We know this of the 13, 14, I think it is, epistles that Paul has written, but now he writes to particular people. He writes two letters to Timothy, one to Titus and another to Philemon, as we say in South Africa, but you people say Philemon, I believe. So to those four letters, all three ministers, Timothy and Titus were evangelists, an inferior order given to the apostles, if you like, in that first century, according to Ephesians 4.11, and he gave the apostles the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers. But these, Timothy and Titus, uh, their commission and work was much the same as that of the other apostles to plant churches, to water churches that were planted, and accordingly, they were itinerants, particularly Timothy, we find he being such a man who'd been with Paul on his second missionary journey to various churches and now finds him at Ephesus. The letters to Timothy and Titus are known as the pastoral epistles. I'm sure you're all aware because they're largely concerned with the duties of those who are called to lead the flock of God. So there's a lot to be said in these epistles, Timothy and Titus, the duties of those who are ministers. And not only do these letters bear Paul's name in the address, but they are addressed to two of his most trusted assistants, to Timothy, my dear son, my true son in the faith, and to Titus. And Timothy was perhaps not a pastor in the usual sense, but has even been considered as one of Paul's sub-apostles. We know that Timothy, from reading the scripture, that Paul was involved in Timothy's conversion. Therefore calls him, my true son in the faith. But Timothy first comes in, onto the scene in the early church 
during Paul's second missionary journey. In fact, after the first leg of that missionary journey, which was overland. And that that, uh, missionary journey was about three years, around about 49 and 51 AD. Don't hold me to those dates. And after his first journey, uh, he spent over a year in Antioch before setting out again on the second missionary journey. Well, Timothy was a young man who impressed the early church leaders and an unusually, unusually dedicated young man. And Paul apparently saw that Timothy could be a valued helper in the ministry of the gospel. And so Timothy's invited by Paul to join while he and Silas were at Lystra on their second missionary journey. And I went to Acts and I I read up all over the place about this. And you can go there and do the same. But in Acts 16, we read this in the first three verses. Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. A little strange. Well, Paul started the second missionary journey overland, as I said, crossing one mountain range to Tarsus and the next to Derby and Lystra. And he and Silas moved west. And it's there in Derby and Lystra, Paul met up with Timothy and joined him and Silas as a missionary partner. And that's, as I said, we just read, Paul did something seemingly strange or curious. Even though Timothy's father was a Greek and the church in Jerusalem, Paul had just come from the Jerusalem council and decreed that it's not necessary for Gentiles to be circumcised. Yet Paul takes Timothy and he circumcises him. And uh, I was wondering about this and then I read something Interesting, and that is that Orthodox Judaism today still holds that Jewishness comes from the mother's line primarily. And Timothy's mother was Jewish. And as far as the Jews in Asia Minor were concerned, Timothy was a Jew because of his mother who did not respect his Jewish heritage. And so because of the Jews, the scripture tells us, Paul made sure that Timothy was able to receive respect as a Jewish believer. And so he circumcises him. This is a classic example of deference, isn't it? Of humility and respect, of yielding one's rights in order not to offend those to whom one ministers, namely the Jews in Asia Minor, to whom they were going to minister. So that made absolute sense. This first letter to Timothy was most likely have been written in the early to mid-60s. Don't hold me to that date because everybody gives different dates. But what we do know is Timothy was a young man because years later he's referred to a young man. And in fact, some suggest that Timothy may even be as young as 18 when he was converted. Because 10 years later, more than 10 years later, uh, we know that uh, Timothy was still a young man, possibly then between 30 and 40. And these are 
kind of guesses, and we know this because Paul urges Timothy as a young man not to let the other believers look down at him because he had an important leadership role in the church. He was not part of the Ephesian elders that Paul addressed, and yet he was sent to Ephesus. And Paul asked him specifically, remain at Ephesus, as we will see. But in 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you because of your youth, even though that be 30 to 40 years old, somewhere there. That was a young man for a leader in the church, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Wonderful example. Why did Paul write the letter of 1 Timothy? Well, the scope of these two letters generally is to direct Timothy how to discharge his duties as an evangelist at Ephesus, where he was now, and where Paul ordered him for some time to reside, to perfect or to complete the good work that he had begun there. And as for the ordinary pastoral charge for Ephesus, I just mentioned that was given to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. And beware, if you start reading Acts, you're going to go all the way to the end because you want to read it all over again. Such interesting history. Acts 20, 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and the flock, Paul says to the Ephesian elders, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he ordained with his own blood. And it is there that Timothy finds himself in some sort of a leadership position, perhaps even remain there as a pastor. It's also clear that Timothy's continued presence there was to provide oversight and teaching in the leadership to the church, to assist them and to train the elders placed there. And whether Timothy moved on or not, uh, or joined the other pastors, it's unclear. We know when Paul was arrested, Paul says to him, come to Rome as soon as you can, because he at that point was in Ephesus. But the scriptures don't tell us much more than that. And one of the main reasons also, which we'll see in chapter 1, to deal with false teaching. And this comes up in the scriptures and many epistles over and over again. So he trusts Timothy to deal with that. And the false teaching there basically is what became known as Gnosticism in the second century. It didn't have a name, yeah? It's like diseases 20 years ago. Now they have a name. And, and so it was pretty much Gnosticism that led to some of the evils there because they believed all matter is evil. And only the spirit was created was by the deity. And God had nothing to do with matter. It's, it's evil. And so it didn't really matter whether you sinned. And so you'll see he deals with heinous sins in that first chapter. But the point is he entrusts young Timothy to correct that heresy. And of course, furthermore, we noted that this is a pastoral epistle, these three epistles, not only for the church here at Ephesus, but a teaching guide to all the churches in the first century and beyond, in fact. These two epistles with Titus still provide the church 2,000 years later, with important teaching regarding church government, the officers, and their qualifications, which we even used this year, outlining the qualifications of the officers in the church, pastors and deacons. Let's go to, to our text as we consider 
in the second place, that was just the introduction, the address and greeting of the letter. And I was hoping to get to the benediction also, will not happen today, wanted to keep it at a reasonable length. And introductions can be boring, so I, I hope you find this interesting and pertinent to the study and help us understand the text of First Timothy in the light of the historical circumstances there. So two sub-points under the address and greeting of the letter. Number one, Paul's credentials and authority. And Paul always does this, but we're going to talk about it again. Paul's credentials and authority. Look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Now that's quite unique and different to others. Paul is very conscious of the fact of his own credentials, that though they are impressive, they are secondary to this all-important and single credential. He is an apostle of Christ Jesus. He comes not to the churches, in his trips, in his missionary journeys, neither does he write to the churches except on this authority, that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's an ambassador. He's a special envoy. He's a herald with a specific message. The early ships in the, in the first century were known as apostolic ships when they were sent to a country to, with a specific purpose, with the authority of that country. They were called apostolic ships. Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus with the message not his own, but the message of Christ with the authority of Christ. So don't just gloss over that. Paul is an apostle. Paul is an apostle by the will, by, he says, will in other places, by the command of God, he says. Yeah. He's a servant and a slave of Christ by the will of God, by the command of God. And except for his letter to Philemon and two other epistles, that's Philippians and 1 Thessalonians, and the reason be those epistles include names of other people, or Paul and Timothy, or Paul and somebody else, he always establishes his authority in the address of the epistles. And when he writes Paul and Timothy, he doesn't identify himself as an apostle, because Timothy's not an apostle. But when he's writing to the church in its serious matter, he is an apostle of Christ. These are not my thoughts. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through me, Paul. I'm just an apostle. I'm a John the Baptist. I'm a voice. And it's God's voice. He's an apostle in the fullest sense of that word. And let's remind ourselves what it meant to be an apostle. And all of you could give me two of the qualifications of the apostle. And that's because those two are the most important First, being an apostle was to have been an eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ and having been qualified for their task by Christ. But what about Paul? Same thing, the Damascus Road. And then the Lord ministered to Paul. He instructed him the way that he instructed his other 11 apostles, in excluding Judas Iscariot. 
And so when they were seeking for someone to replace Judas, you remember Acts 1.22, so, so one of the men who've accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must come with us as a witness to the resurrection. Most important part of apostle. Secondly, apostle was called by Christ and received a direct commission from him. The 11th and the 12th, and of course Paul, was given a direct command from God. Direct commission. Thirdly, an apostle uh, was endowed in a special measure with the Holy Spirit who leads them into all truth. And the reason these others perhaps are not mentioned is often because there were other men who fitted this category or some of the category, but they were not eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And they were not given a direct commission from the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 10, 19 and 20, Jesus says to the disciples, When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour what is not you speak, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Fourthly, an apostle's work was especially blessed by God and confirmed with signs and miracles and much fruit in their labors. And there were others who fit in this category, but they were not apostles. And fifthly, an apostle's office was not restricted to a local church, or only continued for a short time, but their ministry was to the whole church of Christ, and for their entire lives they were apostles. Acts 26, 16, But rise and stand upon your feet, at Paul, uh, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me in me and to those in which I will appear, uh, which will, I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul, an apostle, in the fullest sense of that word, of Jesus Christ. And apostle has a charge. He has a commission. And I was thinking about the charge and the commission. I thought about... A little, po a little certificate on the wall of my office. I have a credential. And that credential reads like this. It's a deed of commission given to me by the state president of South Africa, who was president that time, 1985, P.W. Wurter. He said to me, I hereby confer upon you commission in the South African Defense Force and hereby charge you in the name of the Republic of South Africa to serve your country as an officer with loyalty, courage, dignity, and honor to discharge your duties and responsibilities with zeal and diligence and to set a good example give to those under your control. Given by my hand with the seal of the Republic of South Africa, 
1987, PDA signed, PW Wurta, and I'm kind of proud of that commission, I'm American citizen now, so it actually means nothing. So this one is not for life, but Paul is given a commission from authority much greater than the president of a country. By God, the command of God our Savior is his commission, and Christ Jesus, who is our hope. That's his credential. He's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, by the Holy Spirit, in this address, in a skillful way, also goes on to declare the unity of the Godhead and the unquestionable deity of the Lord Jesus Christ at the same time. And I love this. And it jumped out at me in the scriptures because he says, we know that Jesus is our savior. You will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from his sins. But Paul says, God, our savior and Christ Jesus, our hope. Christ. And Paul says, not Jesus Christ, like the other disciples in most of their writings, Paul here throughout, except one, says Christ Jesus, emphasizing the deity of Christ, the Messiah stressing his deity, Christ Jesus, who is our hope. Christ Jesus is the Christian's hope. Our hope is in him. All our hope of eternal life is built upon him. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's Colossians 1 to 27. To them, God chose, as God here commanded, God our Savior. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Brothers and sisters, I love this opening sentence of Paul. Christ Jesus, what a savior. God the Father Almighty. Here is the authenticity of the gospel. And those carried along by the Holy Spirit as apostles in those early years to carry his message. This charge directly from God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. This is the glory of the mystery which is Christ in you the hope of glory. There is no other Savior but God. There is no other hope but Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. And this charge, this letter that Paul gives to Timothy, this commission has been passed down and given to the church, the keys of the kingdom, the, un the powerful, unchanging message of the gospel in which Christ unlocks the door to set us free from sin and death and hell to eternal life in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. These are the credentials that come, that Paul comes when he writes the letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus, our hope. Finally, this brings us to our second sub-point, and we're going to be short this afternoon, and that is Timothy addressed. Timothy addressed. He writes in his letter, he's directing it to Timothy, verse 2, and the first part. To Timothy, my true child 
in the faith. And he calls Timothy a child in the faith because he'd been instrumental in his conversion, because Timothy had been a son that served him, served him in the gospel. In Philippians 2.22, and Timothy was with him when they went to Philippi, and that's a great story also to read, the Philippian jailer and Lydia and everything that happened in Philippi. But in verse 2.22, chapter 2, verse 22, Paul says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. Here's a young man. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How is a son with a father? He has served with me in the gospel. And Timothy had not been wanting as a, in the duty of a son to Paul. And Paul was not wanting in the care and tenderness of a father to him. And we don't have much more information about Timothy. But what we do have is significant and noteworthy. And beyond what we have here in First and Second Timothy... It would most likely be the case that Timothy was converted during Paul's first missionary journey because there's no other explanation for the way that he speaks of Timothy. Young man Timothy there was being raised now years later by God in the church and he'd been recognized and commended by church leaders so that Paul's desire for Timothy to join him. And he continued with the ministries with the missionaries, proving his worth to Paul and others, becoming an entrusted leader and faithful servant to the work of the gospel. What a testimony of this young man, Timothy. And it is Timothy that Paul asked to stay at Philippi, at Ephesus, to deal with the false teaching in the church. And some of you may have noted, and commentators say that, Timothy was kind of timid, and he's even been nicknamed Timid Timothy, a title attributed to him in church history. But Paul encourages him as a young man, the second letter, to develop his gifts, to continue as a good student of God's word, as a minister of the gospel. Let me just read to you then, 2 Timothy 1, 3 to 7. I thank God who am I, whom I serve as my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. For this reason, I remand, remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so there people have said, ah, Timothy was a little timid, and so Paul encourages him here. And then verse 14 and 15, remind them of these things. Charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's what we know about Timothy. There's something else we need to take note of about Timothy, and perhaps you saw it as he spoke of his grandmother and his mother. A very important lesson to ourselves in raising our children. Mothers, fathers, grandmothers, and grandfathers. 
This is from Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We should never regard lightly the importance and the impact of early instruction of our children in raising them in a knowledge of the law and of the gospel. This placed the home and the grandmother and the mother and the teaching in the home and the catechizing of your children. This is God's breeding ground for many men to be raised up and to achieve great things for the sake of Christ, the extension of the gospel and usefulness in the church. And God used Lois, his grandmother, and his mother to teach him the Old Testament scriptures so that they were looking forward to, like Simeon, waiting for the kingdom of God to be revealed. So when it came, they embraced him, probably during that first mystery journey of Paul. And Timothy, with his humble nature, Timothy, with his sickness that Paul refers to also at one point, is a great example of God raising up godly men, starting with the foundation of godly instruction from the early age in the home. I have three lessons. I think there's three lessons, applications, as we close today, because that's all I know about Timothy. That's all the scriptures teach about him. And I hope you're excited to read and study this book together. And I'm going to start where I just left off for the first application because I want to press this one home. Number one, to our ladies, to mothers, and to our grandmothers especially. You may not be able to preach the gospel. You have not been called to do that. But your influence for the gospel on your children and your family is invaluable. Mothers and grandmothers especially, because grandfathers play golf and and, and mothers are working. <laughs> this is in a sense a partnership that you have in the gospel. Let's never underestimate the ministry of the woman in our home and to younger women that Paul urges in Titus, as we know so well, Titus 2. Godly woman, be a godly witness and example to your husband and to your children and to outsiders. This is your great charge and commission from God, and it is a great commission. And the greatest men and the greatest preachers of the gospel were taught by their mothers from an early age in most cases. And as Timothy, prove your worth in the gospel in this way. It is a great and a glorious work. It is no small work. It's like the mother of a future state president of the country, only much greater, only much greater. Grandmother Lois and Mother Eunice had been converted, as I said, probably Paul's first missionary journey. These women saw in Christ the fulfillment of the prophecy, promises and placed their trust in Christ. And these two women in turn had cooperated with Paul in that glorious work of grace which resulted in Timothy's conversion. Isn't that a wonderful thought? We ought to remember in prayer and thank God for godly mothers and grandmothers. Titus 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, 
For slaves too much wine thou to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working in the home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be revealed. That's the first, and I think a great lesson from the life of Timothy. And two shorter lessons. Number two, fellow pastors and officers in the church and deacons, remember the charge and commission handed down to you in the church. It is to be a herald and a witness and a faithful laborer in the church. It's not just the job to make a living. It's not just the job to make a living. The authority of your work is the gospel by the command of God and God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our Lord. It is the same authority given to us by the word of God. And know this as you discharge your duties, doing the work of an evangelist and a pastor and a teacher and a servant of Christ Jesus. It is with the assistance and the power of the Holy Spirit. It is with the authority of God. It is sometimes hard and discouraging work, but he is faithful. Therefore, remain faithful. In the words of John Owen, and I've quoted this before, it's also on my office wall. Your life is short, your duties many, your assistance great, your reward sure, therefore faint not, hold on and hold up in the ways of doing well, and heaven shall make amends for all. Pastors and deacons, be strong in the Lord and keep your eye on that charge given to you by the church, by the command of God, and by Christ Jesus, our hope. And the third lesson is for young men. Young men in the church, and by young men I mean the unmarried men or the young married men. But I also mean the younger, younger men. Those teenagers in our church should be baptized and follow the water in obedience, follow the Lord in obedience through baptism, professed faith in him. Be a true child of the faith. Don't let your baptism be... It was 2022 I was baptized. It felt so good. I felt so enthused. I love Christ. I was, I was ready to go and witness. Don't let it remain a certificate on your wall, as it were. Be a true child in the faith. Your faith in God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, our hope, is the result of faithful parents. It's the result of faithful ministers who took their charge seriously and labored and prayed for your salvation. So young person, be a true child in the faith. Follow Christ and be a witness to him in the school, in the workplace, in your home. Like Timothy, serve Christ as a true son. Prove your faith by your works. Let no one despise you because you're only 14 years old, but be an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in purity, and in faith. Something for everyone from the Word of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Scriptures. How we thank you for the richness of the scriptures. How we thank you that we can see the personality of the men who labored night and day, men who were 
put to death by the sword, men burnt at the stake because they followed you and served you. We thank you for the example of godly fathers and grandfathers, for our women in the church and our grandmothers who faithfully raise their children. Oh, Lord, we pray that we might truly be faithful in our walk with you. Thank you for the glorious gospel. Thank you for these epistles. Thank you for the word of God, which is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray, sanctify us, challenge us in our hearts, that we may love you more dearly, that we may serve you more closely. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.